Again, what we want to do is we want to listen and learn from who's in the room so that we can figure out the best way to clearly and compellingly articulate the gospel. So when I say gospel, I know sometimes that can be a word with a lot of fuzz or lost its fizz sometimes because we say it so much. So just so I'm clear, when I say the gospel, here's what I mean. I mean the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. Talk about the good news. If you want a Hebrew word, it's biserah. If you want a Greek word, it is tu evangelion. It is the pronouncement, the proclamation, the heralding of the kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ came, died, and was resurrected and is returning for his sons and daughters. It's the good news that no matter how bad you've been, God is gooder. It's the good news that no matter how far you've run, God is faster. And it's the good news that no matter how unworthy you feel, God speaks a better name over you through the blood of Jesus Christ. His mission and his message is to start a family and adopt as many sons and daughters as possible into his mission and his message, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. That's what we mean by the gospel. And we have to remind ourselves of these things again and again because oftentimes we'll get to start to drift. And the good things, but sometimes they distract us from the best thing. And I think that's what Paul is after when he's writing to his young small group leader in Ephesus, Timothy. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll start in verse 14. We're marching verse by verse through 2 Timothy. And we're in a series called Follow Me as I Follow Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. While you're finding your way there, let me pray for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you give us all eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14 in the message translation because it's just beautiful. Repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. Warn them before God against pious nitpicking, which chips away at the faith. Anybody ever experienced that? It just wears everyone out. Amen. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you don't have to be ashamed of. Laying out the truth, plain and simple. Now stay clear, pious talk, that's only talk. Words are not mere words, you know, if they're not backed up by a godly life. They accumulate as poison in the soul. Hymenius and Philetus, loosely translated Phineas and Ferb, are examples throwing believers off stride and missing the truth by a mile by saying the resurrection is over and done with. Meanwhile, God's firm foundation is firm as ever. These sentences engraved on stones. God knows who belong to him. Spurn evil, all you who name God as God. I'll say the word of the Lord if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. So, repeat these basic essentials. Repeat these basic essentials. You know what's coming next? Repeat these basic essentials. Say it with me. Repeat these basic essentials over and over and over again. 
Make it plain, make it simple so that everyone can remember them and live into them. Now, this is important for me simply because I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, and here's a problem that I have. I wanna be super creative. I wanna tell amazing illustrations. I wanna write things on the blackboard that you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Chris is the greatest teacher ever. The problem with that is sometimes my ego supersedes my desire for you to walk away with the name Jesus on your lips. And sometimes I don't need to impress you, I just need to express There is an inexplicable joy that comes in following Jesus. Um, uh, Rhodes was with us last week. He's a buddy of mine who we went through seminary and did life and ministry with. Both of us came up underneath Dr. Robert Smith Jr., an African-American preacher and professor at Beeson Divinity School. And I've told you this, guys, a little bit before, but I love the African-American preaching tradition where the congregation actually participates in the sermon. They give it a little callback and response. And a lot of times I just, thank you, I just kind of beg for it because really I need approval. Um, But this time it actually makes a point. Um, Usually the congregation will help coach, especially young preachers, in how they actually need to preach. So if someone comes up, I, I know I'm, I can get like this a lot. You come up and you start talking really, really fast because you got a lot of stuff you want to tell people about and you're really, really excited and everyone's like, whoa, pump the brakes there, brother. Right, they'll say this, take your time, preacher. Take your time. We're not in a rush. And you realize the adrenaline has been jacked up and you just went way too fast, way too soon. So you just back up, you take a breath and they coach you through it. Sometimes you'll say a point and you're already moving on to the next one because you've seen it like 10 times during that week and you can't wait to get to your next point, but people are still chewing on your first point. So they'll say, say it again, preacher, say it again, which means what? Hey, let me sit there just a little bit longer so that I can process what you're saying. Now, there's one statement, especially uh, that senior ladies uh, sometimes in the congregation who are really the functioning elders of the church, whether they're there in position or not, will kind of just shout you down with this one. It's the one I don't like to hear but need to hear the most. And it's when I'm in the middle of a theological rant and I'm trying to be smarty pants because my deepest insecurity is that I'm stupid and I wanna impress people and I wanna impress seminary professors that are not even in the room and I want to use Greek and Hebrew words, you're like, oh, dang, that dude is smart, right? And all of a sudden, I'll hear it from the audience. Make it plain, preacher. Make it plain. What is she telling me? Hey, that's fine with all those fancy words, but I don't understand any of them. You need to make the words and the world that you are talking about understandable to me and my world. That regardless of age or education, the gospel should be repeated in its basic essentials over and over again. To Timothy, Paul says, make the truth plain and simple. And a lot of times, I think we get really, really excited about deep spiritual truths. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of times in the modern American church, we have a problem where our knowledge has exceeded our obedience. And so what I wanna do is back up and just remind us of the basic essentials. I just wanna remind us again, hey, we are here. There is one message. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There's one mission, to make disciples that make disciples. 
What do you mean when you say that? That we apprentice our life to Jesus, that we job shadow Jesus every single second in our schools, in our families, at our work, where we're playing, in our sports, in our extracurricular activities. We're job shadowing Jesus. We are learning to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. We are designed to make disciples, right? Where we intentionally go outside of the four walls of this church and we invite people into a spiritual relationship where we center ourselves around the life and teachings of Jesus because we believe God knew how to live life the best because he created it in the first place. So just a reminder, right? We are gonna be the kind of people that say we want to entrust and endure and God will make sure that the gospel goes forward in us and through us. We wanna be the kind of people who we know that we have a place at the table, but we're not gonna sit there forever. We're gonna get up and move into the kitchen where we mix it up, we mess it up so that we can serve it up. That we're not just gonna sit here and be loyal listeners. We wanna move to learning leaders who apprentice themselves to the life and the teachings of Jesus, all the while begging the Holy Spirit for the grace and glory and grit and gusto and deep gladness to do it all in the context of community. We look at one another in the eyes and we say, follow me as I follow Jesus because when we get to heaven, the only thing Jesus is counting is disciples. Just wanna make it plain and repeat the basic essentials over and over again. Because men and women do not walk out of this room without realizing the call of Jesus Christ upon your life is to leverage every single relationship, resource, and minute of your day in your ordinary life that flows and forms into one singular, simple, neon sign that says, Jesus saves. And I want it to buzz with the static electricity of the Holy Spirit in the context of community that's given you courage and confidence to be exactly who God created you to be and invite others along to discover it for themselves. I want it to hum with humility and holiness that Jesus saves us from a life of just gorging ourselves our own personal desires and sinful satisfaction so that our eyes can be opened up to what is pure, holy, sacred, set apart, and other that we are living pure, passionate lives in the pursuit of Jesus Christ and that we want to be able to say, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm gonna repeat the basic essentials for you. It's Jesus saves. So kids, if you're taking notes, here you go. Jesus saves. That was my best sound effect at a neon sign. Now we get this, right? Okay, got it, Chris. Jesus saves. Thanks for the Sunday school lesson. Do we get cookies? You don't get cookies. You get pretzels and Kool-Aid because you're too hyperactive. Jesus saves. Now let me just break this down for you in what Jesus saves. Jesus saves us from sin. Jesus saves us for right living. All I'm doing is taking the biblical word righteousness and putting it in our vernacular. And Jesus saves the best for last. Now, incredibly simple, right? Jesus saves. He saves us from sin. He saves us for right living. He saves the best for last. 
it's incredibly complicated when I actually try to live it out. Because here's the deal that I know about me and maybe you know about you. I'm a raging, flaming ball of inconsistency and hypocrisy. And that I know that even when I'm trying to make disciples, those disciples have their own issues that they bring to the table. And all of a sudden we're trying to figure out, okay, Jesus saves, what does that mean? Does that mean, hey, when I was a kid and I kind of said this prayer after someone, did that prayer save me? Uh, When I did a ritual called baptism, did that save me? Uh, When I went through confirmation, was that Jesus saving me? Hey, because I attend a church or religious services, that's what's saving me. And then what do you do with the fact that people said, yeah, Jesus saved me, absolutely, and then they're living a life totally antithetical, opposite, sorry, to the, make it pay, preacher. That was a test, you you didn't fail, you passed it, whatever. There's something afterwards. It's really getting bad now. Where was I, Logs? I'm totally lost. Perfect, that's the opposite of what the gospel is all about. So, We've got to answer some of these complicated questions in the context of community. And that's what we're here to do tonight, to remind you the basic essential. Jesus saves us from sin, for right living, and the best for last. So I want to give you a theological word, if I can, to help out with these categories, and then a word picture that I think will help you remember and figure out where the Lord wants to work in your life. So here's a theological word, that's TW. Here's a word picture, that's WP. All right, from sin... The word the Bible gives us for this is justify. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen, brother. Romans 3.24, and are justified freely through the grace brought about by the redemption of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saves you and you realize the ship that is your life, S-H-I-P, you're welcome, is your life, is sinking, it's taking on water that no matter how hard you try, it's not going in the direction that you want it to. Relationships are exploding and you realize that without God, I am without hope in this world and you cry out, Jesus, save me. He justifies in that moment, absolutely, freely and fully. Uh, I, I got this because I've been in academia for far too long and I write one too many papers. You highlight your whole paper, five, 10 pages. You highlight it. You click less, left justify. What happens to that paper? It all lines up on this standard. And this is the righteous requirements of the law that are fully met because Jesus Christ was your golden standard. You don't have to be a perfect example, but you must be a living example. The perfect example, the job's already been taken. Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous requirements of the law, and now you are in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and through me. So the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why do I have all those verses memorized? Because the Satan wants to attack your identity every time you misstep. If he can get you living in guilt and shame and unworthiness, he doesn't have to worry about you making a bit of difference on planet Earth for the kingdom of God. You need to get back a robust theological definition that Jesus has saved me from sin. I am adopted. And any time God looks at me, he looks through his son, Jesus Christ, and he sees someone holy and perfect and set apart. Second word is sanctify. The root word of that simply translated is holy. This is Thessalonians 4.3. It says, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you control your bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. 
How many people right here need the message that Jesus saves? I don't know if you're like me. This is my story. It may not be your story. Five years old, I heard the gospel and I responded. I thought it was the most simple thing I've ever heard. All right? With life, God is possible because of Jesus. Awesome. Heaven's great. Hell sounds bad. I'm in Jesus. Just tell me what to do. And it went along great for about seven or eight years while I was playing with Tonka trucks. And then I hit puberty and testosterone and chemicals all started jacking with my brain. And I had a lot of sinful desires. All of a sudden, if I wanted something, I was taking it. Hey, if I was in conflict with my brother or sister, I was gonna beat somebody. Actually, I was the one getting beaten up, but let's just do redactionist history. Uh, um, that's a word for I'm making it up as I go along. Um, uh, my parents, I didn't wanna submit to their authority. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what it's like to be me. Oh my gosh, I hate you. Oh, cursing my parents. Oops, this is not really good. And then you're trying to figure out how to live in relationship with one another when your brain's just short-circuiting all the time. And then you got academics and all that stuff, and you're like, wow, man, everybody's cheating. What's the big deal if I do it? Is anybody struggling right now when it comes to the righteous requirements of the law when you look at your own life and go, ooh, I need some grace to be sanctified, to be made holy, that it's God's desire that I should be sanctified, that I should be able to conduct my body in holy and honorable ways. And so Paul, by the way, when he talks about salvation, he does it in past, present, and future tense. This is you have been saved. This is you are being saved. This is you will be saved. So when he saves the best for last, that word is glorify. This is Colossians 4.3, that when Jesus Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also be revealed in glory with him. What is glory? Glory is the white, hot, unrestrained, restricted byproduct of God's holiness. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, hey, if you think hell is hot, wait till you get to heaven because God is finally going to let loose. Don't forget, Moses asked to see the glory of God. God put him in the cleft of a rock, put his hand over, and he looked at God's backside and got a holy sunburn for four weeks, okay? What do you think heaven is gonna look like? You will need a glorified body to stand in the presence of God to be able to handle the full weight of his love, his majesty, his mystery, his holiness, and his splendor. That is why we believe in a physical resurrection of the body. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of resurrection, and he was raised to life in a physical body. He liked to eat. Praise God, we're going to eat in heaven, right? Where's going to be an incredible feast, uh, the marriage supper of, of the bride of Christ and the Lamb of God, and we will rule and reign with him forever. If you're struggling with one or two, maybe it's because you need a robust theology of resurrection. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives and reigns within you. Jesus saves. Because if you don't have this, you're going to get really, really depressed at what's happening in the world. Christians, we should be able to go to funerals and we'll grieve, but we don't grieve as those without hope. We're the ones that stick our chest out and put our chins up and go, death does not have the final say-so. This is not as how, what my father intended. And I know that one day he will come back and he'll make all things know. He'll wipe every tear from our eye and every sad thing will come untrue and the old order of things will pass away and behold, we will rule and reign and we will see him as he is. Eugene Peterson calls it this, we practice resurrection. And I don't know about you, I wanna make sure I'm ready for the resurrection. Not just going, Lord, please don't come back, please don't come back, please don't come back. I wanna come, Lord Jesus, come. 
make things right. Once we get that, then we can actually have a theology that embraces suffering and sacrifice, not tries to avoid it at all costs. Jesus saves from sin for right living, and he saves the best for last. So here's your word pictures. Because I think with each one of these, normally we really overly emphasize one of these at the sake of something else. So in evangelical subculture that I grew up in, we really love to overemphasize this, conversion. It needs to be emphasized, absolutely. It's just not complete in of itself. So the picture of this, it's the life raft or the lifeboat. Hey, you know what's going down. Everybody hurry up, hurry up. We're all gonna die and go to hell. Everybody get the life raft. Okay, who else is in? We got them, we got them, we got them, good. That's a fine starting place, but I don't know about you, I don't wanna live in a life raft. And you know what a life raft's sole job to do is? Just float. There's no oars, there's no direction. And a lot of times what this happens is if your only emphasis on salvation is conversion, you have a bunch of lazy Christians who just try to get as many people on the lifeboat and then go, oops, what's discipleship? I'm just gonna drift on these currents and see where it takes us and we're just gonna try to ride the storm out. Doesn't sound like the kingdom of God or the abundant life that Jesus called us to, does it? Then if you're just focused on right living, hey, I just, I'm a Christian because I need to be a really, really good person. I gotta be better than some other people. All right, well, then you've got a paddleboard theology. Right, you're out there on 30A, looking super cool. You got a shirt that says YOLO. You got a Yeti cooler waiting on the shore, right? And you're just out there solo, right? You just, it's all about what you're doing, where you're going, and basically your theology is recreational. It's not really relational. It's just, hey, all right, I wanna get here. I'm getting a great core workout. Look at me, I look super sweet, awesome. Here's the problem with that is there's no one else on that board. And the only way he's getting anywhere he needs to go is by his own energy and effort. Now, make me no mistake, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. But when you sit down on this, then your sole job is you're not gonna get very far because it's only up to you. You control everything and the end game is solely about you. Now, if you just focus on getting to heaven, your glorification, the best for last, then you wind up in speedboat Christians. <laughs> you ever seen those gifs, gifs, whatever, make it plain. I got time for that right now. Of People just humming on the speedboat and they hit one rave and you see someone's glasses go back, their neck go this way and their foot go this way. You're like, oh, dang. That's basically what speedboat Christians are to Get in, we're gonna rip this cord called Jesus saves, we're gonna full throttle across this ocean because we ain't got time for anything else. We're just trying to get to heaven. I don't care about the people beside us. I don't care about that dude in the paddleboard we just killed. I don't care about that platoon boat that we just, that weight capsized in. Hey, get in if you can make it. And once you get in, you better hang the heck on because we're just It's great from getting point A to point B, but what you miss is the journey. And what you miss is the fact that Jesus said life abundantly can start here and now. You don't have to wait to heaven to get to it. So maybe the best picture, if we synthesize all these, that Jesus saves us from sin for right living and the best for last, that he justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. Maybe the best picture is simply a sailboat. Where you have a team, a community, of brothers and sisters, who know that they have a gift and a role to play, that they've been set apart to play a part, that they know the only reason they're on the boat in the first place is because the captain of that ship invited them in and gave them a role to play. 
And they put a lot of energy and effort to understanding each one's role, but at the end of the day, they are solely dependent upon raising the sails and waiting for the wind. And the Holy Spirit is gonna rush through like a mighty rushing wind and he is going to propel us into a purpose and a destiny that we never could have realized on our own. And even when we get there, possibly the sweetest part about it is gonna be the relationships you made along the way. Amen? So we wanna preach the Bible clearly and give your soul some space to respond. So we're gonna take about 120 seconds and I'll just kinda take you through a guided prayer. Band will come up, we'll take this stuff off stage, but just do whatever you need to get yourself in a comfortable position to rest and reflect on what the Lord's been saying. If you already know what that is, feel free to write and just begin to talk to the Lord. You can tune my voice out. But we're gonna try to make it as plain as simple tonight. Jesus saves. He can save you from sin. So if you realize right now that you're riddled with sin and brokenness and that there's nothing that you could ever do to save yourself, no matter how pretty, powerful, or popular you're trying to be, that's empty at the end of the day. And you just wanna surrender. And you just wanna maybe, I would say, pray the prayer that Peter um, prayed, three words that's absolutely awesome when he was sinking on the Sea of Galilee. Lord, save me. I confess and I surrender and I repent. And I need the grace to do that. Maybe for some of us, we're in the middle of a sanctification journey. We've been in the life raft and we've just kind of, we started with Jesus, but we don't know how to finish with him. That Yeah, we know where we're gonna spend eternity, but we actually don't know how to bring eternity as a reality here and now. And that maybe there are some things that continue to have your number. Maybe there are some struggles that you're dealing with alone that just keep coming up again and again and you're tired of them. But you're gonna ask the Lord for the grace, not only to bring hope and healing into those struggles, but to bring people alongside of you who would bear those burdens with you so that you don't have to live in isolation and shame anymore. Just pray the grace of Jesus Christ to sanctify you for right living. Maybe it's the speedboat that you need to get out of. Maybe there's an oppression and a depression about what's happening all around us that we can't control right now. And while God has given us a vision and a direction to make sure that we combat forms of injustice, oppression in every shape, form, and fashion, you've lost hope that he's gonna make all things new. Maybe you need a glimpse of his glory and the fact that that glory is transforming you. Maybe it's something physical. Paul says it this way, outwardly, though we are wasting away Inwardly, we are being transformed, renewed from one degree of glory to the next. And why I believe in hope and healing, especially in our physical bodies, maybe one of the things that we need to learn to do is age well. And look forward to the hope of the resurrection. 
Now we know if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, not built by human hands. That it's going to be so much better than we could possibly imagine. The last thing I would ask you is, are you in a sailboat of believers and in community where you get the chance to practice resurrection together? Let's listen to what the Lord has to say.